with no plans to do this next year, the, this fall and the last fall and the fall before and the fall before, we've been spending some time talking about vision as a church. Every church's mission revolves around love God, love people. But every church is also in a different context. We have different gifts, different people that make up our body in a different area. And so in 2014, we simply talked about why do we even gather on Sundays? Christians like to say that everything's worship. Well, then why even show up? Um, There are a lot of good reasons for that. Celebrate the resurrection. Become friends with people we would not... I mean, let's just be honest, we wouldn't choose this group, right? It's too big, at least. If not, well, don't know if we'd all choose one another, but God has chosen us for one another. The next year, much to a few of your great joy and many of your great chagrin, we talked about polity. Members, elders, deacons, trustees, we actually called it God's hands because God in his mercy said because of my character, while we wait for Jesus to come back, this is how we take care of one another and make much of him. To some of you that sounds exciting, like really just a few of you, but in truth it is that, that God cares about us so much he told us how to do church. Not with the precision some of us would like, therefore we have to figure it out. Then last year we talked about the Ten Commandments, the time that, according to Exodus chapter 20, God wrote with his finger laws, words, literally is the word, ten words that show us his standard, our great need, and they're a guide to us about real life. And this year we're talking about love, which sounds like a sweet Hallmark card for a church vision series. But in the midst of the most messy church of the New Testament, in chapter 12, Paul talks about how the body of Christ has different parts. And the reason is people were jealous and mad at each other and suing one another and acting out in other very troublesome ways. And then he gives a definition by description of love. And when you and I hear love, we think romance because it's 2017. And our culture is pretty in love with love. And that's actually okay, but it's not okay by itself. You and I need to learn about strong love. Love that transcends feeling. Love that transcends choice. It is feelings matter. Love is a choice, but it's not just a choice. Love is the thing that happens in families, at least some of the time. It's also something we're supposed to do as a corporate body of men and women following Jesus, calling him Lord, and learning how to call him Lord next to one another in this place and this time. So we're going real slow through that section of 1 Corinthians 13 that you've heard read at weddings and perhaps seen on a pillow or two or up on a wall. And listen, that's fine. It looks great. It's a beautiful, poetic definition by description of love. And it has much more far-reaching implications than I think we think it does initially when we see it. Like, that sounds nice, that love is patient. All right? Doesn't that just sound pleasant? Well, it not only means that you and I get to learn patience with our coworkers and siblings and parents and children and if we're married and friends, it also means that our church needs to learn how to patiently and still actively make much of God and love our community. We need to learn to become a church of love among the wreckage around us. Simsbury does not look like a wrecked place. It does not reflect a lot of the brokenness we see in the news, and yet it's still full of men and women 
who are by nature selfish, like me and like you. We are amateur at best lovers, and God in His grace not only saves us from sin and death, He saves us into a life of love. As a church, then as individuals. And this is a strong love. It's not the love of feelings that are so intense and could not last or we'd go crazy. It's not just the love of choice. It's both and even more than that. I've been using a couple of phrases that's not... uh, You and I are naturally amateur lovers and so is our church body. God draws us into professional love. Gosh, that's imperfect. (laughs) This is love with a backbone. The the romantic love. The sense of feelings like we kind of wonder, would it last? And that's what we need so desperately, right? From our parents, for our children... For our good friends, for those of us that are married, our spouses, and absolutely from our spiritual community. And you're like, this is a lot of people to do love with. Yep. Welcome to why it's difficult to be in church, be a follower of Jesus, and be a pastor. Not easy, but so worth it. Isn't that our desire? To be known, to know others, to love And we do not do it naturally, which is why Paul says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Always? Yep. It does not mean that you and I are to stay in proximity to people that hurt us. That's not what this means. You understand what I'm saying? Like endures all things, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, kind of sounds pleasant and you would never say it to someone who's dating. You should just hope all things. Just believe all things. It's fine they stood you up. Just endure that. Oh, he shouted at you when you were driving? It's no big deal. It's fine. I'm not saying, saying you should stay in that dating relationship. I am saying... That the love of of a follower of Jesus, which is to everyone, because Jesus said we love enemy and neighbor, means that love endures. The love that we are being grown into is strong. It has a backbone. And it does not insist on its own way. But you and I insist on our own way. You know why? Why? It's actually because we're afraid, and it's okay. Because God, in His great mercy and grace, accepts us exactly as we are, but does not leave us that way, and grows us up in love. 
The Beatitudes are a description that Jesus gave of a follower of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 are things that the Holy Spirit does in us. This definition by description of love in 1 Corinthians 13 is what happens unstoppably because God is so gracious in you and I when we trust Him with our heart and with our decisions. You're like, well, that's nice. But what we actively do that the Holy Spirit is growing us in is insist on our own way and the reason that we do it is because we're afraid we've been hurt by people we have hurt other people we have seen destruction around us we have gone through seasons where we did not know how to get out of bed And so then when there's an opportunity to love or to be loved, we're nervous. And the way that our nervousness comes out is insisting on its own way. Or perhaps, more colloquially, being controlling. Don't anybody say amen during this section of the sermon. We act controlling because we're afraid. Both of what we want and because we've been hurt. We're simultaneously nervous that we're actually going to be loved well. Because it's gone poorly so many times. And we're just nervous and we, we do so we make self protective moves at all times. And some of you are like, I'm never controlling. That might be the most controlling way to be. To never, ever, ever state your case. I'm serious. If you're in relationship with any other human, do you know how powerful of a tool silence is? Do you know how unkind it is to never state what you would prefer? Even if you're one of those people who's wired that you want the other person to be happy even more than you, not because of resentment, because you're wired that way. You still have a preference. If you don't share it, that's controlling too. Here's what I'm trying to say. We're all a little bit controlling and it's for natural reasons. It's not odd that we are controlling. And yet, God's grace meets us in that and grows us out of it. I see this a lot of times in all kinds of relationships. The damage done through what we think are subtle things, ultimatums in relationships of any kind, can be real destructive. Because that's how how we insist on our own way. And listen, the difference between an ultimatum and wisdom is subtle. Stay with me here. If you ever do that, I'm gone. It's an ultimatum. If you ever do that, I'm going to pull away because I'm going to be unsure about our relationship. That's the difference between wisdom and not insisting on our own way. It doesn't mean you stay in proximity to the person that's hurt you. But it does mean that as a follower of Jesus, we forgive We continue to long for their good. And then we wisely consider. I'm saying this quickly. I know this is not easy. Okay, I I promise. You want to see my genogram? I know this is, you know, a genogram is all your family. I know this is not easy, okay? As a follower of Jesus, we do not insist on our own way through ultimatums. You're like, I've never made an ultimatum. That's an ultimatum, ironically. And I'm pulling like a rhetorical, philosophical fast one on you, but I want us to notice that we naturally do that because we're afraid. Here's the worst one. I mentioned it at the beginning of the series. That's just the way I am. That's a reversal ultimatum. When someone says, when you do that, it hurts me. And you say, that's just the way I am. 
What hope are they supposed to have in relationship with us if we say that? Followers of Jesus, we never get to say that. It doesn't mean you have to do what that person said. I don't know that person. I don't know if they're mean or unkind or unloving. So maybe instead you say, hmm. Right? Because you've got to wisely consider when those in relationship with us ask us to change or point out something that's difficult or thank us for loving them well and then we're nervous that we won't ever do that again. The way we do it as an institution is say, that's how we do things around here. And listen, how we do things around here matters. But it cannot be a way that we insist upon forever. Why? Because what's the purpose of the church? To reach those that aren't in it. It's like the exact opposite of a country club. We join to help them and to help us and to help us. You're, you and I are not left out of that. We still have to learn to love one another and do our internal things well. But our existence is for those who are not here yet. So when we consider any ministry or any musical style or any preaching style, we do not insist on our own way. It doesn't mean we don't talk about our preferences and the things that we actually believe are best, scripturally. But we're consistently looking at it and saying, is this the best thing for those who are not yet here? And is it the best for our people? Some of you wish I would wear a tie. An older member of the, hadn't been at the barn in 30 or 40 years, and it was that one Sunday a month that I wear jeans. You know why I wear jeans one Sunday a month? Because many of you are more comfortable with me when I wear jeans. Did you know that I wear a suit to the first service when we do communion? You know why? I want, I want for folks to feel at ease, not with me, but so that we can engage the text. But he put his hand on my shoulder and he goes, please tell me that sometimes you wear a tie. And I said, sometimes I wear a tie. And I don't know the man. But we, we, we need to watch that. Not, not stating our preference. The point is not, like everybody in here has an opinion on how I dress, and that's fine. Don't all email me at once, but we can talk about it. I actually have a theology of dress. But we don't insist on it. Why? Because we're consistently trying, as best we can, to exist for the sake of making much of God before those who do not know Him yet and for ourselves. When I talk about not insisting on our own way, I'm attempting to imply something. I want to state it more clearly. It both has to do with the church and with us as individuals. You and I try and control things because they feel out of control and that scares us and often hurts us. You and I have almost no control over anything in our life. But we do have immense influence and power. You know that, right? You're like, I don't have any power. Go home today and say nothing to your spouse. All day. Go to work tomorrow and refuse to talk to your coworkers. You and I have been given immense power through our hands and our voices and our time and the things that we're asked to steward. One of my favorite comedians describes it this way, and this is so true. 
If you're in an airplane and you start saying the word down and you never make eye contact with anyone else and never say another word, they'll land the plane. Down. 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 They'll land the plane. Right? And then you'll have to go away for a few months. (laughs) But you and I are given immense power. And as a follower of Jesus, that humbles us. And we look to him and say, help me learn to love you and others with wisdom. And in his mercy, he gives us several definitions by description, including this one. Specifically, love does not insist on its own way. And it endures. This is such good news if we understand what the Apostle is saying. It's taught throughout the rest of Scripture. You and I are being grown up in a love that lasts. Which is what we want and what we're simultaneously nervous about, right? When we get to the point in the relationship where we're not just putting our best foot forward anymore, we're immediately curious. Gosh, is this relationship going to last? Is this the kind of person that I could be friends with for a long time? That's why this is such good news. It sounds a little poetic and we're not sure about it in our dating relationships, but love endures all things. What sweet information for you and I to know that the Jesus, through his work, reconciles us to God. Because of the Father heart and the indwelling Holy Spirit, you and I are grown into men and women whose love lasts. Our instinct is maybe the 5K, probably the sprint, and Jesus is training you and I into marathon shape. My wife ran a half marathon a couple of weeks ago and I went down there and man, it is smelly at the end of a marathon. Because it's a lot of hard work poured out on the street right there. I mean, these people have been running for hours, which I have never done. I always, when I'm watching a marathon or a half marathon, I'm always like, I think I want to do this. This is amazing. And then I start to think I'll have to run more than three miles by myself to do that. This is not going to happen. But I cheer for the people that it does happen. They're the people that do it. You and I are being trained right now into marathon shape for love. And you're like, I do not want to run a marathon. It's a metaphor. It's imperfect. Okay, just stay with me. The love of God and the love of neighbor, those who do not yet know him and those who do, it's not a sprint. And that's why this is such good news that love endures all things. Always? Yes. Does that mean we stay in close proximity to those that hurt us? No. That's a wisdom category. Hear me. Every time Jesus spoke about divorce, he assumed that there are grounds for it. I'm going to have a longer conversation about that. I would love it. It's a very tricky conversation, but I, have to be, I, I want to be very clear. There are things you ought not to endure from a proximity standpoint. You know what I mean? If you're being hit, 
you get out of the house. Now. Right? But you forgive, which just means long for their good. That's all it means. That's all it means. That's all it means. And love has endured. Now the rest of the story is one of wisdom. We need friends and good counsel. But love, the love of a follower of Christ, knows that they merit nothing before God, but God in His grace reconciles us to Him. And therefore our love endures all things. And that's what we want and need in life and in friendship, right? Friends that love with a backbone that will stay with us through our limitations and mistakes and sins and blind spots. I am uh, perhaps unlucky in family. I love all of my family. Perhaps unlucky. If you saw the number of disorientating, disorienting movements but I am incredibly blessed in friendship. Incredibly blessed, especially with men friends who endure this way. You're like, gosh, I wish I had that too. It can happen here. Imperfectly. Probably not only during the coffee hour. We're probably going to have to find some space for community in addition, even though coffee hour is important. That kind of friendship is available through the community of God's people. Which at the barn mostly looks like people asking you to do stuff. You know that if you're a member here, you've got to be good at saying no. And saying yes. Because you know what happens when you serve, especially within your gift set, is you get to know people. And some of you know this. You've been a member here for 43 years. And you have good friends here. Strong love does not insist on its own way and it endures because it is love. Real love. Love that is a choice and is more than a choice. Love that involves feelings but is bigger than feelings. And the invitation of Jesus Christ is when we come to the end of ourselves and recognize that we need Him. That it's 100% His work and 0% ours. And we call Him Lord. We are not only drawn into eternal security of heaven and then the new heavens and new earth. We're not only given the internal peace of being known and loved by God, which is such good news. We're also grown as individuals and as a corporate body in love that lasts, that endures all things. If you're a follower of Jesus, we will sit together in the kingdom, actually understand all those things that happened to us and even how they served God's good and we'll laugh. Not a mocking laughter. Not a flippant laughter. The laughter of men and women whose hearts have been made entirely whole and understand the wreckage we lived in. 
as a community. And we'll not only be thankful for the grace of Jesus, but that he put us in one another's lives. And you're like, I've got to tell you some stories about these church, this church. Yeah, it's an imperfect place. And I've heard a decent number. I still, of course, still want to hear your story. But I know it's an imperfect place. It's also the only place, not this church, but the church is the only place to be a Christian. And all of the power, energy, motivation, education is not in you and me. I don't know what would happen if we tried to make this talk a self-help talk. Maybe it would be kind of helpful on when is endurance good and when it's not in love. I think the only way it's helpful or encouraging and most importantly powerful for you and I is when we understand that this is a move of acquiescence. This is a move of trust. This is a move of receiving. This is not you and I realizing that we insist on our own way and deciding, well, I'm just going to stop insisting on my own way. First of all, good luck with that. That's not going to work very well. Second of all, that's not the gospel of Jesus. That we notice our blind spots and then whip ourselves into shape. It's that we notice our blind spots and we're so thankful that he saves us and grows us out of those. And when we choose love instead of destruction... It's a move of participation with the Holy Spirit. It's why the entire New Testament is full of passive language. That throws some of us off. We don't read a lot of literature that's almost entirely full of the passive voices because this faith is one of acquiescence to the work of Christ. Reception of the Father heart of God towards us. And faith in the indwelling Holy Spirit that grows us into a community and individuals in that order of love. I hope and pray that you know that God loves you. That because of the work of Christ, you are reconciled to Him if you call Him Lord with your heart and decisions. And I hope that you then have a sense of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. As I pray that all for myself also. Love does not insist on its own way because it's love. And love endures because it is full of the power of God. Through Christ and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you that you are a good father. Thank you that you love us well. That you have never been impatient or rude or irritable with us. We thank you for the work of Jesus Christ. Reconciles us to you through none of our work. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you left with us until you return and make all things new. Please give us a sense of how you're growing us in love this morning. Amen.